0: So we are uh, moving into chapter 10 tonight and just a word uh, before the music about the handouts. There are two handouts tonight, both on George Herbert and I only made a few copies of the uh, really lengthy one which is about a 30 page academic paper on George Herbert by my friend Don King who's probably the world expert on Lewis and poetry he is at Montreat College uh, but I just made a few and I see that they went much more quickly than I thought they would but they will be that will be attached to the email this week so if you didn't get one and you want to read the 30 page article uh, you can have at it If you have no interest in 30 page articles at all that is absolutely fine. God bless you All right. So we have a wonderful piece of music that we'll see if anyone knows. the buzzer at once. Okay, well, that you might possibly have recognized because our choir has sung it sometimes. Uh, That is a piece called The Call, and it is a poem by George Herbert that was set to music by Rafe Vaughan Williams. It's part of the suite that's called Five Mystical Songs that I would commend to you. They are beautiful and really theologically rich. So we're going to um, work in a little bit of George Herbert tonight. We'll explain more about that later. But for now, let's go ahead and say our scripture verse together. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you may have noticed one of the things going on in this book is there is this constant struggle between freedom and slavery back and forth back and forth and that is one of the reflections of what goes on in the spiritual world that god desires to set us free and satan desires to enslave us so uh, for anyone who is new in person tonight welcome or to those who are new online uh, out in the podcast world welcome Uh, just a word about how to approach this class if you're new you can be on the beach which means that you scoff and laugh at things like 30-page handouts, um, that you have no interest in them whatsoever, um, that you may not even read The Last Battle. Uh, That is all totally fine. If that's all you want to do, that's fine. Uh, If you want to snorkel, go deep on the things that you like, like, for example, if you really like George Herbert and you want to go deep on that but not on any of the rest of the things we're doing, that is fine. Or you can scuba dive where you just go down the rabbit hole on every little thing like I do, and it's so glorious. Uh, If you are not on our email list, uh, please sign up on the little sheet. Or if you are out in podcast land, Google St. Philip's Church, Charleston. United States and you can find me on there and ask me to add you and we will do that so A couple of reasons, again, about why we are studying this book. One of the reasons is that it's such an example of Lewis's genius of being able to write to three different levels and themes simultaneously and have all of them work. So first, this book works as a great children's story. Uh, It won a major award for children's books. Uh, It is a marvelous capstone to all the Narnia stories but it is also a profound reflection on original sin, the sin of Eden, the means of grace, and the glory of heaven. And it also is a parable about following Jesus that seems peculiarly applicable to 21st century America because of its emphasis on the concepts of word and truth. So a quick, quick review Uh, in chapter six, We see uh, the first time that they begin to execute this plan to try to get rid of this ape who is dominating Narnia, and they are able to free Jewel the Unicorn and steal Puzzle the Donkey, who the ape has been dressing up with this lion skin and pretending that he's Aslan. But then they encounter these dwarfs who are on their way to be enslaved, and they liberate them, but the dwarfs have become cynical. Even though they see the donkey and the lion skin, they don't really believe. They don't want to fight for the real Aslan, they just are concerned about themselves. And the cynicism and disbelief is the course that they choose. So then in Chapter 8, the eagle comes and tells them that Narnia has been invaded by the Calermenes that the beautiful castle of Kir Paravel, their capital city has been stormed by sea and has fallen, that the Nurnian army has been taken and that their dear friend Rinwit the centaur has been executed. So it is a very dark time. So then in chapter nine, we see how uh, the Tisrak, who's the ruler of the Calormenes, has been using this ape all along. This ape who's been glorying in how much power he has and how he can make people go and serve him and bring him nuts from the ends of the earth and where he demands that people call him a man and all of that. He now has had the tables turned on him so that this calamine is uh, directing his steps. And We saw last week about how they get to Stable Hill, which is where they had been hiding Puzzle the Donkey. Uh, And so now we have not just the Abe, but Rishda Tarkhan, who's an officer in the Kalermeen army, and Ginger the cat. I'm exercising great restraint about the fact that Lewis has chosen a cat as the villain. so we have reached to and Ginger the cat, and they are now using the ape as their mouthpiece for what they're doing. So we talked last week about several things, uh, the importance of proclaiming the truth and taking the adventure that God sends you. Uh, vulnerability and sharing burdens brings comfort, even when the situation is dire. Fighting for a noble cause, even when risky, is better than hiding and avoiding the fight. Fellowship and doing the next thing when you're in the midst of a crisis helps to avoid despair. Communicating love and forgiveness in extreme circumstances is important. When you make an alliance with evil, evil will end up controlling you. And then lies with a little truth mixed in are the most dangerous type of deception and can cut the ground out from under the truth. So that brings us to tonight's chapter, chapter 10, who will go into the stable? And before we get into this, I just wanna remind us that it is not an accident that Lewis is very clear about calling this a stable and not a shed or a barn because he is wanting us to think about the first Christmas and Jesus's incarnation in a stable. And that theme is going to keep coming back. So there's a lot that happens in this chapter. So first, the ape summons all of the creatures together and says that Aslan, or rather Tashlan, because remember they're saying Tash and Aslan are the same, is angrier than ever and is not going to come out any longer to speak to the creatures. And so there is much wailing and gnashing of teeth about that. But then the dwarfs challenge the ape, and they say all he ever had was a donkey with a lion skin, and so now without the donkey, he doesn't know what to do, and that's why Aslan can't come out, because there's nothing left in the stable to show reached to Tarkhan the Kalarmina officer says beware 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 of believing that there's no tashland in the stable and the dwarfs taunt the ape about showing them what's inside chanting seeing is believing seeing is believing and the ape then replies well you can go in to see him if you want to and when they hear this the Narnians get all excited because what they've wanted, those who have had deep faith in Aslan, is they've wanted to be able to see Aslan, all that they've been taught, and from their faith in Aslan, that Aslan is kind and good. So they think that if they can get face to face with him, instead of far away where the ape is interpreting for him, that, that things might actually be good. So when they hear they can go in the stable, they are, really excited, but then the ape says, not so fast, Tashlin is growling, and he's ready to eat you alive. So Tyrion and Jill start wondering, well, what exactly is in this stable? They know it's not Aslan, and they wonder whether it might be Tash inside, because you'll remember a couple of chapters ago they saw Tash walking through Narnia and there's this horrible smell of death and the sky turned black. And Tash, if you remember, looks like some hideous monster out of a horror movie with these claws and a beak and all of that. So Tyrion and Ginger, um, Tyrion and Jill wonder about what to do, but Tyrion says that they must have courage because they are between the paws of the true Aslan. And we'll talk more about that. And then Ginger the cat says, well, I'll go in there. And so Ginger walks in, and a few moments after having walked in, they hear this And then the cat goes flying out with all of its hair standing straight up and it's shaking and everything else. And this has been a very arrogant cat up until this point. And all he can do is make noises. And so finally, they are looking at the cat and reach to Tarkon and says, tell us what you saw in there. And all the cat can do is make sounds. And then to the great horror of all the Nernian beast, they realize that the cat is no longer a talking beast, but has been changed back into a dumb animal. And so they are struck with horror. But then this young Calermen officer named Emeth stands up and says he will enter to gaze upon Tash. And the Calermen officer tries to stop him, but Emeth persists and enters. And then soon after that, this... Calamene figure comes out reeling and dies on the ground. But Tyrion notices it's not Emeth. It's some other man has come out and died. So they don't know what that means. So the ape then says, well, it's now time for all of you Narnian creatures to enter the stable. And so he picks on the boar first. And the boar bravely gets up and starts to meander toward the stable, but Tyrion can't take it because he knows that what awaits them in that stable is not good for them. And so at that point, Tyrion says to his six companions, we are going to spring out and try to save these people. So he jumps out and all of them jump out with their swords drawn and challenge the ape and the means So If you've been sort of noticing how these chapters are organized, this is way more action than there usually is in a chapter of this book. So things are starting to heat up. So there are a couple of themes in here that I want us to look at tonight. The first one is the true nature of Tash and of Aslan. Second, the theme of deception and manipulation. Then the nature of belief and faith courage and the will of God, the danger of misplaced faith, evil and coercion, and proclaiming the truth with courage and action. And it is interesting, especially if you change the first sentence to God and Satan instead of Tash and Aslan how very applicable those themes are to where we find ourselves and our culture today. So the first one, the true nature of Tash and Aslan. The ape was speaking again, and after a horrid thing like that, this is right after the ape has said, that evil donkey went out there and somehow got a lion's skin and tied it on himself and was pretending to be Aslan. Now, leaving aside how in the world a donkey could do that, but that's okay, lies don't always make sense, Uh, and the ape is saying that's such a terrible thing that this donkey, whoever sees it, needs to kill it. After such a hard thing as that, Aslan, Tashlan, is angrier than ever. He says he's been a great deal too good to you, coming out every night to be looked at, see? Well, he's not coming out anymore howls and mewings and squeals and grunts were the animals answered to this. Anyone can see Tashlan, but he's not coming out. You have to go in and see him. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, said dozens of voices. That's what we wanted. We can go in and see him face to face. And now he'll be kind, and it will all be as it used to be. And the birds chattered, and the dogs barked excitedly. And you see they're reacting based on the faith and experience that they've been taught and all that they've understood about who Aslan is. But the ape shouted, get back, quiet, not so fast. The beast stopped many of them with one paw in the air, many with tails wagging and all of them with heads on one side. I thought you said, said the bear, but shift interrupted. Anyone can go in, he said but one at a time who'll go first he didn't say he was feeling very kind he's been licking his lips a lot since he swallowed up the wicked king the other night now remember their their storyline is that uh, Aslan swallowed up Tyrion because Tyrion was a traitor after they had rescued Tyrion from the tree where he was in captivity. He's been growling, I wouldn't like to go into that stable myself tonight, but just as you please, who'd like to go in first? Don't blame me if he swallows you whole or blasts you into a cinder with the mere terror of his eyes. That's your affair. So you can see here, there's this huge difference between the Narnians view of Aslan and this God that the ape is describing. So some scripture about how you discern what God is like. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, God's attributes are clear from studying the creation. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus is the fullest image of God. That when you look at Jesus, you are seeing God And all these things that our culture wants to say about, well, God is like this, or God is like that, or the God I believe in wouldn't fill in the blank. None of those make any difference because what scripture tells us is that Jesus is the fullness of the image of God. And that's so important to remember. Then Jesus himself, when he had done multiple miracles, Sometimes scripture is just really funny, but there's a section of Matthew where Jesus literally does like five miracles in a row. And then the Pharisees come up to him and say, Rabbi, give us a sign. You know, he has brought people back from the dead. He has fed thousands of people miraculously, thing after thing, and they say, give us a sign. And he says, No sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. And so they don't know what to do because they've got to figure out some way to explain the fact that he's doing all of these miraculous things. So they say, oh, we've got it, Satan. It's just like that old Saturday night skit of could it be Satan? With the church lady. Uh, But what the Pharisees don't, realize is that Jesus is gonna come right back at them. And what Jesus says to them is this verse, because they say he's casting out demons by Satan. And Jesus says, if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that is exactly what has happened. The kingdom of God has come upon them and they are terrified of it and they don't want to admit it. And what you see in all of these verses is that who God is, who Jesus is, and what their character is, is very, very clear But also what Satan's character is, is very clear and that they are not the same. And then this great line from the song of Moses in Exodus, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And this is such a good reminder to us, our culture regularly calls the nature of God into question and says God is not good or God is not just or God is not this or God is not that and it's very easy when you're listening to the barrage of all that to begin wondering about it but the fact of the matter is the scriptures testify to us about God's character and they tell us in multiple places that Jesus is the fullness of the revelation of God. And that should give us great confidence in standing up against the lies of the culture. So then deception and manipulation. You might have noticed there's a lot of deception and manipulation going on in this book. And you might remember that Lewis is writing these right after World War II. Uh, Right after having watched what happened in Germany over a period of time where there was much deception and manipulation. So here the dwarfs are shouting, hark what the monkey says, it shouted. We know why he isn't going to bring out his precious Aslan. I'll tell you why, because he hasn't got him. He never had anything except an old donkey with a lion skin on its back. Now he's lost that, and he doesn't know what to do. Now, the interesting thing about that is that is almost exactly true, what the dwarf says. Almost, not quite, but almost. Tyrion could not see the faces on the other side of the fire very well, but he guessed this was Griffel, the chief dwarf. And he was quite certain of it when a second later, all the dwarf's voices joined in singing don't know what to do, don't know what to do, don't know what to do, ooh, ooh. <laughs> so when you don't know what to do, ooh, ooh, you just make fun of people. Not that that happens today. And then the Kalermeen officer, the do, ooh, ooh, just sent him right over the edge. Silence, thundered to Tarkon. Silence, children of mud. Wow, that's not very nice. Listen to me, you other Narnians, lest I give command to my warriors to fall upon you with the edge of the sword. The Lord's shift has already told you of that wicked ass. Do you think because of him that there is no real Tashlan in the stable? Do you? Beware, beware. So, There's a lot of stuff going on here. So you've got truth coming from an unexpected source with these dwarfs, but you see immediately that the Calamene officer jumps in to try to manipulate the situation, and he is awful in the kind of language he uses. He's calling the dwarfs children of mud uh, because the dwarfs dig in the ground. So it's almost like a racial slur kind of thing, really offensive. And then he threatens them with death, and then he elevates the ape. The ape is now the lord shift, not just the ape. And he says that they need to beware because of whatever is in the stable. So some scripture about deception. Take no part... Now that is a pretty absolute statement. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And listen to these words. This is from Jesus. Jesus is speaking. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And what Jesus is saying here, and we have to be careful about this because you don't want to go around every time somebody disagrees with you saying, you are the devil, you're the devil. Um, that is not helpful. That is not speaking the truth in love. But the flip side of that is we need to not be naive, that there are people who are about an evil agenda in our culture, and they prey upon people who are naive and they want them to just go with the flow and not make any noise about it. And sometimes there are times that you have to stand up. And then from 1 John, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits To see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is so important for us because there are so many voices out there, so many people screaming about different things, and we are called as believers to test the spirits. And the way that we test the spirits is twofold. The first and by far most important thing is to test everything against the word of God. If something goes contrary to the word of God, that is not a spirit that should be listened to. And then the second thing is to look at what the fruit is that comes from what's being said. Because if you will read in Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit that comes that's bad fruit. Um, Envy, slander, wickedness, dissensions, fighting, orgies, envy, drunkenness, all of these kinds of things. And then he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if you see chaos and fighting and screaming and all of that, that is probably not the voice of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be familiar with scripture because you can't test against something that you don't know. Then the nature of belief and faith. Come on monkey, show us what's in the stable. Seeing is believing. Now just as an aside, that could be the mantra of our age. This is sort of another way of saying science is the only thing that's true um, which we could go on a whole thing about science versus scientism. Lewis was a huge believer in science and that true science will point people to God but scientism the worship of science is idolatry. Uh, So the seeing is believing of course that rules out any kind of faith. So, show us what's in the stable, seeing is believing. When next there was a moment's quiet, the ape said, you dwarfs think you're very clever, don't you? But not so fast. I never said you couldn't see Tashlan. Anyone who likes can see him. The whole assembly became silent. Then after nearly a minute, the bear began in a slow puzzled voice, I don't quite understand all this, it grumbled. I thought, you said, you thought, repeated the ape, as if anyone could call what goes on in your head thinking. Listen, you others, anyone can see Tashlan, but he's not coming out. You have to go in and see him. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, said dozens of voices. That's what we wanted. We can go in and see him face to face, and now he'll be kind, and it will all be as it used to be. And there's several really interesting things here. First is that seeing is believing thing. But also notice the ape is not using argument or logic. He is just being mean. When he tries to talk to this poor bear and the bear is trying to ask him a question, all he can do is insult the bear as if anyone could call what goes on in your head thinking. Well, there's a lot of that in our culture too, a lot of yelling at people and putting down the other side and saying people are idiots or um, you fell in the blank. But you see, on the other hand, that there is in these Narnian animals, even though they've been through all of this stuff with this fake Aslan, their faith in what they know to be true about the real Aslan is still there despite all of the circumstances, despite everything that would cause them to doubt, they still know somehow deep inside that the real Aslan is kind. And that if they could be face to face with the real Aslan, that everything would be all right. And so there's a difference there um, between the kind of... uh, shallow belief and facts that the dwarfs are talking about and real faith and we see this in a number of scriptures um, particularly that great episode where jesus has risen from the dead and he has appeared to his disciples when they're all gathered in the upper room and thomas is not there and so then they go out and they find thomas and they say Thomas, Thomas, we are so excited. Jesus has risen from the dead. It's the most amazing thing ever. And remember, Thomas has been with these people for three years with Jesus. And Thomas is like, forget it. Unless I can put my finger in the holes of the nails in his hand, unless I can put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Seeing is believing. Thomas refuses to have faith. And then the next time that Jesus comes to the disciples, Thomas is there. And the very first thing Jesus says after peace be with you is he says to Thomas, put your hand in the holes in my hand and put your hand in my side. No longer be faithless but believe. And then we get to this verse. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that would incidentally be all of us because we have not seen Jesus walking around making footprints in the sand like the disciples did but we believe by faith and by the testimony of those who followed after the disciples. And Jesus says there is blessing in that. And then look at what Jesus prays in that beautiful high priestly prayer in John 17. And he's talking about when he says these about the 12 disciples. I do not ask for these, the disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are one in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And what Jesus is saying here is that he is praying for people like us, those who believe because of the testimony of the disciples. And then in Hebrews, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And it's this whole idea uh, that faith is something that is stronger than mere factual belief. Remember, Jesus in one place says, even the demons believe and shudder. So just believing that Jesus exists is not the same thing as faith. And what Lewis is showing us through these Narnians is the beauty of that faith that has been nurtured in them through hearing the story of Aslan and through their experience of trying to serve Aslan in faith. Courage and the will of God. Tyrion bent his head to hear something that Jill was trying to whisper in his ear. What do you think is really inside the stable, she said. Who knows, said Tyrion. Two means with drawn swords, as likely as not, one on each side of the door. You don't think, said Jill. it might be, you know, that, that horrid thing we saw. Tash himself, whispered Tyrion, there's no knowing. But courage, child, we are all between the paws of the true Aslan. And that is very much saying the same thing as we are in the hands of the Lord. In his grip. Yes, in his grip. So have some scriptures. When they had called in the apostles, this is the leaders uh, of the Jewish people uh, who have arrested the apostles for preaching about Jesus. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from house to house, they never said anything about Jesus and stayed quiet. No. They didn't do what they were told by those officials. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. They had courage. And then from Hebrews again, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And this great verse from Isaiah 41, fear not, for I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then from a little later in Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. That is a great thing to be reminded of. It is easy to be fearful and afraid and to lack courage in our culture. And there's there's a wonderful anthem called Do Not Be Afraid um, by Philip Stopford that is based on these verses that I would commend to you. And then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths." And this is such an important verse, because it's so much the opposite of what we are inclined to do. What we're inclined to do is trust in our own judgment with all our heart, to lean totally on our own understanding, to only occasionally acknowledge God, and to think that we can make everything better ourselves. And that doesn't work very well. So I would commend, that's a great verse to memorize, as is this one. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And then the danger of misplaced faith And this character Emeth that we meet in this chapter, we're going to see again. And as always, as we said, everything that Lewis writes means something. So this character's name, Emeth, is the Hebrew word for truth. The danger of misplaced faith. My father, came a clear ringing voice from the left of the crowd, Tyrion knew at once it was one of the Calermen speaking, for in the Tisroc's army, the common soldiers called the officers my master, but the officers called their senior officers my father. The speaker was young and tall and slender and even rather beautiful in the dark, haughty Calermen way. My father, he said to the captain, I also desire to go in. Peace, Emeth, said the captain, who called thee to counsel? Does it become a boy to speak? "'My father,' said Emeth, "'truly I am younger than thou, "'yet I also am of the blood of the Tarcons, "'even as thou art, and I also am the servant of Tash. "'Therefore silence,' said Reesh to Tarkan. "'am I not thy captain? "'Thou hast nothing to do with this stable. "'It is for the Narnians.' "'Nay, my father,' answered Emeth, "'thou hast said that their Aslan and our Tash are all one. "'And if that is the truth,' Then Tash himself is in yonder. And how then sayest thou that I have nothing to do with him? For gladly would I die a thousand deaths if I might look once on the face of Tash. Thou art a fool and understandest nothing, said Reach to Tarkon. These be high matters. Emeth's face grew sterner. Is it then not true that Tash and Aslan are all one, he asked. Has the ape lied to us? Of course they're all one, said the ape. Swear it, ape, said Emmeth. Oh dear, whimpered Shift. I wish you'd all stop bothering me. My head does ache. Yes, yes, I swear it. Then, my father, said Emmeth, I am utterly determined to go in. Emmeth opened the door and went in into the black mouth of the stable. He closed the door behind him. Only a few moments passed, but it seemed longer before the door opened again. A figure in Calamene armor reeled out, fell on its back and lay still. The door closed behind it. The captain leaped toward it and bent down to stare at its face. He gave a start of surprise. Then he recovered himself and turned to the crowd, crying out, the rash boy has had his will. He has looked on Tash and is dead. Take warning, all of you. So what you see here is that this young man whose name means truth has been seeking to worship Tash all his life, but clearly he has a wrong understanding of who Tash is and what he is like. So he has essentially been worshiping a false god, and the result is that he goes into the stable, and there's some sort of plot going on, Because the dead body that comes out is not Emoth. We'll see what happens to Emoth later. But this is very much like the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. What happens when people follow gods who are false. So King Ahab said to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said how long will you go limping between two different opinions if the lord is god follow him but if baal then follow him and the people did not answer him a word then elijah said to the people i even i only am left a prophet of the lord but baal's prophets are 450 men let two bulls be given to us And let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, "O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they leapt around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered. No one paid attention. And the point of that is that there are plenty of people that believe in false gods. They are worshiping false gods. But what this narrative shows us is that worshiping a false god will lead you to death, lead you to suffering and death. And only the true God, And if you've read in this, you know the rest of the story, that God sends down fire and consumes the sacrifice, and the prophets of Baal are utterly uh, humiliated. So from Deuteronomy 4, And the Lord will scatter you, his chosen people, among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice." And what this is saying, and you see this over and over again in the Old Testament and in the history of the church, that when you are few in number and you are surrounded by false gods, that what you have to do instead of assimilating with them is you have to call yourself away from them and then search after the Lord with all your heart and all your soul. And that is where revival comes from. So evil and coercion. Ho, 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 chuckled the ape. Any more? Anyone else want to go in? Well, as you're all shy, I'll choose the next. You, you boar, on you come. Drive him up, Keller means He shall see Tashland face to face. Oh, oh, grunted the boar, rising heavily to his feet. Come on, then, try my tusks. The boar is brave. When Tyrion saw that brave beast getting ready to fight for its life, and Calarmine's soldiers beginning to close on it with their drawn scimitars, and no one going to its help, something seemed to burst inside him. And this is what we see with evil over and over again. You can't compromise with evil. Evil may let you alone for a little while, but eventually it will coerce you into worshiping and doing what it wants you to do. So some scripture about that from Galatians. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Then from Psalm 73, they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? And Psalm 73 is a great psalm about seeing how the evil may appear to prosper, but ultimately God has the last word. And then of course, Herod uh, is one of the great examples of evil and coercion. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Evil leads to death. It's just as scripture says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord and then, lastly, proclaiming the truth with courage and action. When Tyrion saw that brave beast getting ready to fight for its life and Calamine soldiers beginning to close in on it with their drawn scimitars and no one going to its help, something seemed to burst inside him. He no longer cared if this was the best moment to interfere or not. Swords out, he whispered to the others, arrow on string, follow. Next moment, the astonished Narnian saw seven figures leap forth in front of the stable, four of them in shining mail. The king's sword flashed in the firelight as he waved it above his head and cried in a great voice, here stand I, Tyrion of Narnia, in Aslan's name, to prove with my body that Tash is a foul fiend, the ape a manifold traitor and these calormines worthy of death. To my side, all true Narnians, would you wait till your new masters have killed you all one by one? It is a great example of fearlessness, of proclaiming the truth, and not just saying it from a safe distance, but proclaiming it with courage and action. And there's no better example of this in scripture than in Acts chapter four, And what happens in Acts chapter four is absolutely astounding. This is right after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. And the same Jewish leaders that put Jesus to death are still in charge. caiaphas the high priest, Annas, his assistant, and these people have the power to put people to death. And so what happens is that the disciples have been out there proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, that Caiaphas and Annas put the Son of God to death. Well, Caiaphas and Annas are not just terribly happy about that. And so they arrest them and they summon the whole council and they are in the same place where they were when they had Jesus's trial. So they're in that same place where they condemned jesus and sent him to pilate so the next day the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in jerusalem annas the high priest was there along with caiaphas john alexander and other relatives of the high priest they brought in the two disciples and demanded by what power or in whose name have you done this then peter filled with the holy spirit said to them rulers and elders of our people Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? They had healed the man on the steps of the temple. Do you wanna know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Now that is boldness. That is courage. They are right there with the people that sent Jesus to his death And they say, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the man you crucified. That's bold. So we would do well to learn from that example. So just in closing, um, a little poem from George Herbert. So George Herbert is probably not someone that most of you have spent lots of time reading. He is uh, someone where you have to do a little bit of work. One of the problems, if you're like me, is really easy to read poetry like, I never saw a purple cow, I never hoped to see one, but I can tell you anyhow, I'd rather see than be one. We can understand that. But if it gets much more complicated than that, we just don't want to work at it. And George Herbert is a little bit more complicated, partially because he wrote in the very beginning of the 17th century. But George Herbert, even though he only lived to be 40 years old, his poetry, which is full of the gospel of Jesus Christ, has had a huge influence on so, so, so many people. For example, C.S. Lewis. Part of Lewis's conversion happened from reading George Herbert. And later in life, Lewis was asked to name the 10 books that had had the deepest impact on forming him as a Christian, and one of them that he listed was The Temple, which is a collection of poems by George Herbert. Vaughn Roberts, who was just here preaching at Mira Anglicanism, then at St. Philip's, was led into the Christian faith through reading George Herbert. So I would commend uh, doing a little work. So this particular poem I chose because it talks about how God can begin to work courage in us. So if you don't understand this when I read it, don't worry, it will be in the email and then you can ponder it a little more and it will begin to come clear. Broken in pieces all asunder, lord hunt me not a thing forgot once a poor creature now a wonder a wonder tortured in the space betwixt this world and that of grace my thoughts are all a case of knives wounding my heart with scattered smart as watering pots give flour their lives nothing their fury can control while they do wound and prick my soul all my attendants are at strife quitting their place unto my face. Nothing performs the task of life. The elements are let loose to fight and while I live, try out their right. O oh, help my God, let not their plot kill them and me and also thee who art my life. Dissolve the knot as the sun scatters by his light all the rebellions of the night. Then shall those powers which work for grief enter thy pay and day by day labor thy praise and my relief with care and courage building me till I reach heaven and much more thee. And what he's saying here is about all his natural abilities and appetites that work against God, but that if they can be brought into submission to God, if they can be brought into his pay as he puts it, then day by day they will focus on praising God and they will build him more and more with care and courage, pointing him toward heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that is in your word. And we thank you for the way this story by Lewis reflects so much of that truth. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to be deceived, Help us not to be deceived by all of the voices that are around in this world that are not rooted in the truth of who you are and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would give us courage at the right moments to speak and to act. Lord, help us to love this world as you love it, to be willing to sacrifice for those who don't know you, that they might come into the joy and grace of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would go with us now, strengthen us to serve you, for Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you all for coming. Um, We will be into chapter 11 next week, but we're also gonna do some deeper dives into some of these themes. Before you go, try to meet somebody that you haven't met.